you got your Bibles with you, I'd invite you to turn to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4, we're going to be reading the last three verses of the chapter. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. Hear the word of the Lord for you, his church, this morning. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord, your word is a lamp into our feet. It's a light into our path. So I pray by it this morning that you would comfort us, that you would challenge us, that you would change us and transform us. Would your son be our teacher this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the days that my brother and I dreaded most in our household uh, was the airing of the first Christmas Hallmark movie of the year. And it was absolutely incredible how many of these movies my mother could watch uh, in a given season. And I just never understood it because all Hallmark movies are the same, right? They begin with the woman who's either a book publisher or a lawyer who lives big in New York City, and she gets a call from her family back home who run either a Christmas village or a farm saying, hey, we're about to run out of money. You need to come home. And so she begrudgingly comes home. And, you know, once she gets off the plane, she's driving down Main Street, and she's really unhappy. And then she meets her former boyfriend who's either a lumberjack or also a farmer who lives a very simple life, which she obviously hates. And so throughout the movie, they obviously fall in love, but she can't give up on her dreams in New York City. So she decides she's going to go back. And while she's on the plane, she realizes, no, he was always my dream. And she comes back, takes over the family company, and they all live happily ever after, right? Every Hallmark movie is the exact same. And yet people watch them time and time again. And why do they do that? Because Hallmark movies always end up in a place of hope. They always end up in a place of hope. And you see, Christmas is that season that brings hope. Brings hope to a tired and weary world, right? People in this season, even though they've had tough years, they can find joy in the midst of sadness, in the midst of hopelessness, right? Christmas inspires hope maybe more than any other season. And people are longing for that warmth and that security. I think that's why churches are more full during this time of year than any other time of year, right? That there might be this God who actually cares about them, who actually loves them, might actually want to know them, and might actually care enough to come, right? And That's the hope that Christmas brings. But eventually, January comes, right? January comes, and what often happens in our lives is that the hope kind of fades away because we realize that life still goes on. There's still going to be empty seats at the table, right? There's still going to be strife overseas. There's still going to be financial and relationship issues that haven't gone away. And 
what we can do is we can find ourselves questioning whether the hope that we find during this Christmas season, the hope that we find during an Advent season, is this a lasting hope? Is this just a fun story that we bring out every December that we unpack and that we tell and then we put it back away for next year? Or is there something more to Jesus? Is there a lasting hope? Is there something worth holding on to? Is there something worth clinging to? And that's what brings us to the book of Hebrews this morning. And for context, this whole book of Hebrews can basically be described in three words. Jesus is better. Jesus is better. The whole, the whole point of the book of Hebrews is trying to show why Jesus is the perfect solution to the problems we face. And what the author of Hebrews will do is he'll reference ways in the past that God has tried to deal with the problems that sin creates. So for example, the writer of Hebrews will mention that in the past, God sent prophets to teach God's word. But oftentimes those prophets weren't heard or received. But now Hebrews says, Jesus the son of God is our true prophet and he has come to reveal God's will. Jesus is better. And in our passage this morning, what the author of Hebrews turns his attention to is the fact that Jesus is our priest. Now, who were priests and why were priests important in scripture? Well, priests were the figures who represented the people before God. They would be the ones who offered sacrifices to help cleanse the people of their sin and give them access to a holy God. Because otherwise, if they didn't have these priests, the people had no way to be with God, had no way at all. And yet the issue was, if you go on and read Hebrews 5, we didn't read this this morning, but these priests were sinful in and of themselves. So while they would offer sacrifices for others, they also had to offer sacrifices for themselves to be in the presence of a holy God. And so they were a bridge between God and the people, but they were a broken bridge. And so enter Jesus, as Hebrews calls him the great high priest. And what the author of Hebrews wants you to know is that Jesus is better. He can do what no priest could do before. And in doing so, he opens up a way to God that has not been known since the beginning. And in this season of Advent, when we're asking this question, can the hope that Jesus brings actually last? The author of Hebrews wants to scream a resounding yes. And he's gonna give us three reasons why. And so if you turn to the text, looking at verse 14, you'll see the first reason that the author of Hebrews says, yes, Jesus can provide hope. And that's that he provides access. Jesus provides access. Look at verse 14. You'll see the main point of that sentence is an exhortation. Let us hold fast to our confession. Hold fast the gospel of Jesus, right? That's our question this morning. Is the hope that Jesus brings truly lasting? Can we cling to it? And the author of Hebrews says, yes, hold fast to your confession, but why should you cling? cling? We'll just go back a little bit earlier. Since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, because Jesus has passed through the heavens, we ought to hold fast to our confession. Well, great. What does that mean? It's a very vague, vague line. And in order to understand that phrase, you have to understand a priest's role just a little bit more. You see, when God made himself a people, God's goal was that he wanted to dwell in the midst 
of his people. And so as Israel, God's people moved from place to place in the wilderness, and eventually when they built a temple in the middle of Jerusalem, God dwelled tangibly in the middle of the camp or the middle of the temple. And in this case, uh, they called it something. They called it the Holy of Holies, this special space in the middle of the tabernacle or in the middle of the temple. And this space was extremely, extremely special. And it was set apart from the rest of Israel. Meaning, if you walked in this space, it meant instant death because sinful men could not survive in the presence of a holy God. And so once a year, once a year, after an extremely thorough cleansing process, could only the high priest enter this room and make atonement for the people. And when the high priest did so, he could never directly see God. He could never directly have total access to God because that high priest was sinful. And so think about it. God dwells tangibly in the middle of the camp, and yet for one time a year, for one moment, the high priest can come in and have this mediated experience with God. And God had to remain at a distance to protect his people. And Hebrews comes and says, but Jesus is different. See, as the God-man, Jesus has passed through the heavens. Because Jesus himself is God, but also what we celebrate here in Advent, Jesus was human. And like no other human, Jesus stands fully pure and clean before the Father. And as such, he is able to give access that no other priest could give. There's this amazing scene when Jesus is crucified. Uh, this curtain which guarded the Holy of Holies in the temple, it is ripped in two from top to bottom as soon as Jesus draws his last breath. And this is meant to show that Jesus, not only touching heaven for a moment, but now that Jesus stands at the right hand of the Father, he opens up God's kingdom completely and indefinitely. He opens access to God. There is absolutely nothing that can get in our way. There is absolutely nothing that can obstruct our path anymore. Jesus gives us access. And friends, that ought to give us hope. Because of Jesus, we are welcoming God's presence, not in the back room, not simply for a moment, not just for a glimpse, but we are welcome right into the very throne room of God to stay. And when we pray, scripture tells us that God may or may not hear, but it tells us to draw near in confidence because Jesus has made the way open. This made me think about one of the things that I hear maybe more as a student pastor than anybody else is when kids start to speak the way that they don't think adults are uh, around them. Uh, and then, so they'll say something they probably shouldn't. And one of their friends will actually jump in uh, and correct them. And they'll say something to the effect of, hey, you can't say that at church. That, that doesn't fly at church. You, you can't say that in front of the, the youth pastor. And I get the rebuke. I really do. And I appreciate that kids have that that wherewithal to correct their friends. But one of the things that underlies a comment like that is that there's this belief that the church's actual job is to be exclusive and to protect it from anything that is unworthy. 
not to give access freely, but to make sure that we guard who gets access, right? We can have this mindset. We may not believe this with our mouths, but we might believe it with our hearts that Jesus saves, but only those who help themselves, right? Only those who think and act in the right way get the nod to come into the presence of God and enjoy the grace and the power of God. And friends, nothing can be further from the truth. See, the gospel of Jesus, Jesus who passed through the heavens for us, means that the church is not simply exclusive, but it is wildly inclusive. All of us have access to God, not based on the individual or what they may or may not have done, but we have access based on the mediator, based on the priest. And so, yes, the church is exclusive in the sense that there is one name under heaven, by which man must be saved. But we are inclusive in the fact that all tribes, nations, people, and tongues have access to God through Jesus. And so when I hear comments like, you know what, I don't belong in church, or I can't come until I'm a level, this level of person, it's sad because we've missed this opportunity to proclaim a radical truth that the bridge between God and man has been made in Christ and all. All of us have access to it. See, part of the reason why Jesus gives us hope in this season is first and foremost, he takes out the middleman and he allows you to meet with God yourself. You have access to the Lord through Christ. So that's the first reason we have hope. But the second reason is that he knows our pain. He knows our pain. Verse 15 goes on to say, that we don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but like us has been tempted in every respect and yet without sin. See, part of what makes Advent so special is that we celebrate what is perhaps the greatest mystery of human existence, is that God would lower himself I love the old confessional term for it, that God would humiliate himself and he would become like us. That he would leave the powers and the glories of heaven and he would come and he would make himself nothing. And that God would subject himself, that he would willingly take on our pain and the suffering of this world. He chose to do that. And I think it gives Jesus something that oftentimes I don't think we give enough reflection to. That Jesus has perspective. That Jesus has perspective. See, Jesus didn't know our pain and weakness as if though he studied it from a book. That he kind of knew it, but he didn't really know it. But Jesus knew it because he lived it. I want you to think about this for a second. Jesus attended funerals. Jesus had friends die. Jesus was poor. They didn't know if they were going to have enough money on the, to pay for meals. Jesus got sick, probably really sick at points. Jesus was hungry. Jesus had his friends, his closest friends, abandon him. Jesus had people not love him. Jesus probably felt the temptation to self-medicate while drinking. Jesus probably felt the temptation to curse out those who were disagreeing with him. You know Jesus felt the pride of a crowd 
that followed behind him, and he probably had to fight the urge to think of himself greater than he was, even though he was God. Jesus probably felt the isolation that came from being different than the culture around him. Jesus felt that greed that came from being an important figure. Jesus was probably tempted by intimate relationships. Jesus was tempted by power. Right? Isaiah says that Jesus lacked any beautiful appearance that would draw people to him. And so he probably struggled with comparison. And yet in each and every weakness and temptation, Jesus did it all without sin. He thrived where many of us fail. He's been where we've been and he's made it through. He survived. And that's what makes him the best mediator. It's what makes him the best priest is that he knows our pain. One of the trends on social media that I've realized is that there are a lot of young couples about my age uh, that are making family vlogs, meaning they've just had their firstborn child uh, and now they're vlogging every single bit of what this child's doing and all the parenting things that they're doing. Uh, and they're using it as kind of like an advice vlog. Like if you're a new parent, you can watch us be new parents and then you can get all the advice and then you can go do it yourself. And these are helpful, helpful vlogs to watch sometimes. But also you can't quite, you know, ever shake the feeling that they're just new parents, right? And if all parents make mistake, what's to say that this is actually good advice? Because they don't know what it's going to be like when their child turns two or 10 or 15. That's going to be a whole new ballgame that they just haven't lived yet. So yes, they're giving potentially good advice, but also do they actually know the way so when you seek advice, oftentimes, where do you want to go seek advice from? Well, you look to the person who's walked the path that you're trying to walk already, right? Someone who knows the way, someone who can guide you along, someone who knows where the pitfalls are and can point them out before you even realize that they exist, right? You don't look for someone who's currently at the same place, who's trying to figure it out all alongside you. You look for someone ahead of you who can look back for you, right? And that's the beauty of Jesus, right? He lived in your shoes. He knew the depths of human joy and suffering, and thus he can provide counsel. He can provide wisdom that no other God could, right? If you think about every world religion for a moment, every world religion has a God who is distinct and separate from the world that they govern, from the world that they give advice to their uh, adherence to. Christianity is the only one where God created the world and then God entered the world and lived it on its own terms and experienced it at its full. So God has perspective. Jesus has perspective. And I think that gives us hope because he knows where he's going. We can follow and we can trust him. So he gives us access he knows our pain, but finally, he gives abundantly. He gives abundantly. And the final part of this passage is the true invitation to draw near to the throne of grace because you have access to God through Christ, right? The one who knows 
your weaknesses and your temptations, and you can come and receive mercy and grace to help in your time of need. I want to go back to number six for a second. This is in the Old Testament, uh, and this is a passage about Aaron, who was God's first high priest for Israel. And God commands Aaron to give a benediction, and a benediction to bless the people as they leave worship. So God says, hey, as the people come, as they repent, as they bless my name, I don't want you to let them go until I bless them. And so part of the priest's job was not just to represent the people to God and sacrifices and whatnot, but to represent God to the people. And so the priest would bless the people. And why did God command such a thing? Because God wanted the people to understand that they didn't just have access to God, but that they were welcome in his presence. That they were welcome in his presence. They were wanted by God, right? It's this ancient practice of hospitality, creating a space where not only people have access, but they know they are wanted, they are welcome. See, part of the priesthood of Jesus is not simply opening the path to God, but it's communicating that we have a place with God. We have a God who wants to help. We have a God who wants to show his loving kindness, who wants us to cast our cares upon him, who wants to show us that Jesus loves us and lets us in, but that Jesus, that God likes us. Even in the midst of our sin and brokenness, we aren't a liability to God gated to, but rather again, we loves us. God wants us to know him, but it's done at a meal, a place of hospitality, a place of invitation. And as we break the thing or two about what it means, he's trustworthy and we follow him. And he's a better priest because not only does he give us access, but he tells us that we're welcome. And he invites us in. 